Sound design. Nathan, for real? Are you kidding me? You can't wear shoes that long. Like, hey, I didn't I mean, know that. Depending on how many miles you're putting on them, like walking in them, you need to replace them at least every year, at minimum. Sound design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Oakland, California. Welcome to Sound Design Live. I'm Nathan Lively. Today, my guest is the founder of Perfect 10.0 Physical Therapy, specializing in injury care, injury prevention, and performance training for gymnasts, cheerleaders, dancers, figure skating, parkour athletes, and performing artists, and one of my best friends from high school, Brandy Smith. Thanks for being on Sound Design Live. Hi, thank you, Nathan. So I definitely want to talk to you about back and knee mechanics and injury prevention, but first of all, Brandy, what is the best song to do gymnastics to? <laughs> the best song? Oh, geez. I don't know. Isn't there one that gets used over and over again that's obviously the best? I would say, like, are you talking about like an actual floor routine or just practice to get pumped up for practice? Mm, let's say pumped up for practice. Okay. Well, you know, Eye of the Tiger has always come along, it'll never go away. <laughs> And the same uh, thing, We Will Rock You by Queen. Sing it! Of course. Rising up. That's right. Back on the streets. Yep, yep. What's that song about, anyway? Hmm. I want to get to a question that one of my business coaching clients came to me with. He is young. I think he's only 20 or 21. He's just starting out in his career. He's worried how a lifetime of hard labor might set him up for injury down the road. And I didn't really have a great answer for him. So I guess what I want to ask is, is he doomed? Or can he end up just as healthy in 30 years as someone who's working at a desk all day? Oh, I love that idea, though. Just as healthy as someone who's working at a desk all day. Are they healthy? Because well, they're not breaking their back every day is what I'm thinking. And I'm, I'm right. exaggerating by saying breaking their back, but that's what I'm yeah. thinking about. Someone who's like really using their body, um, really exerting themselves physically every day compared to someone who is sort of like calm and relaxed and just sitting all day. I don't know. Well, so the caveat to that is that they've actually done studies and they found that people who are at the highest risk for injury are the people who do lots and lots of manual labor, and that's like the bulk of their job. And then on the other end of that continuum, the people who actually have a sedentary job are at high risk for injury as well. So what they found uh. is people who do a little bit of both in between. So I, I think my job's pretty perfect because I sit for a little bit to do a little paperwork and then I turn around and I exercise with clients and I'm bending and I'm moving and I'm shaking and I'm doing stuff, you know, it's that in between. So the extreme ranges where you're constantly lifting, 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 or where you're doing absolutely nothing and just being sedentary, then you're, you're at risk for injury. Um, now there's some new studies showing that people live longer if they're active. So they're actually finding that um, even people who sit for a sedentary job, and let's say that they run on the weekends or in the evenings and they try to work out, that that working out time is still not canceling out their chair time. So basically, the chair is basically taking years off their life. It's kind of interesting. So you guys may live longer. You just may have back pain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which is better. 
Oh. I don't know. <laughs> you get to live longer with back pain. No, I'm just kidding. I do not think he's doomed. I don't think he's doomed. Um, I think that he's going to have to work really hard at um, his posture and mechanics and taking care of himself. And that taking care of yourself is not just like um, working out. I think it's more to that than than just that. Um, well, let's yeah, let's go ahead and talk about taking care of yourself. What are the most important things that you think of when you think of taking care of yourself? Well, the first number one most important thing is going to be nutrition. That's the oh, very really? first thing because if you're doing anything hard. Um, and I, you know, given that you guys, um, in, in the sound world do lots of takedown and, um, and lots of put up, which means lots of carrying of heavy objects. They're bulky, they're awkward. They're on wheels that may roll or may get stuck. You're going over, you know, um, smooth surfaces, uneven surfaces, uh, a ramp that's half broken. So it's like, you know, sometimes the in the rain, Brandy, sometimes in the rain. In the rain, in the mud, <laughs> in rocks. That's what I'm saying, uneven surfaces. You know, like when you're doing all those things, you are working out to an extent. It's not a specific workout, right? So I wouldn't consider it as your daily workout. But you are working muscles to the point where you're going to get little micro tears in your muscles from working out. And that's normal. So like if I was to give you an exercise program and wanted you to go lift weights, and in order to get stronger – we would give you a weight program that would cause little bitty micro tears in your muscles. And then you would go home and you would eat and you would rest and recover. And you actually get stronger during that recovery period during the 24 hours post-workout if you do everything right. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that if you are not taking care of your body nutritionally, then your body doesn't have a way to rebuild those little tears and you don't get stronger. You just start the day off with more with inflammation and so you don't, you don't ever recover i guess in short i see so you if i'm not first day if i'm not eating and drinking water then i can't recover it's easy for me to get injured correct okay and so but it's not just eating though it's like what you're eating and and this is where i think it's difficult in your world is um things that are not good for you that create more inflammation and keep you in a state of inflammation that would be things like alcohol, caffeine, fast food, junk food, um, you know, stuff with hyd- anything that you can't pronounce, <laughs> you shouldn't be eating it. What's wrong with caffeine, Brandy? Well, you know, caffeine really affects your um, adrenal system and your thyroid and a lot of the hormone system, which in turn affects the health of your tissue. Uh, ah. And then if you're not eating quality food, like quality protein, um, you know, I mean, the best way to go, and this seems kind of probably overwhelming for some people, but the best way to go would be able to access food that's antibiotic-free, hormone-free, organic, grass-fed, you know, making sure that you're getting good proteins and good omegas, omega-3s and omega-6s in your diet and that being like fish and olives and avocados, um, flax seed, chia seed, hemp seed, uh, flax oil, um, those kind of things. But making sure that you have good protein and good um, fat. Most people don't have a problem getting carbs in. That's pretty easy. But you've got to have those bases because you're getting from, from that 
that grass-fed antibiotic-free hormone-free meat, that's where you're getting your basis of your amino acid for every cell in your body. And that's how your body takes that and converts it to help replenish your tissues. So basically, recover from Mm -hmm. your day. Mm -hmm. And so I think the hardest thing is you guys may or may not get a lot of sleep. And that's uh, so the next side to that is sleep. (laughs) So I think the hardest thing in y'all's world is um, what food is readily available, what drinks are readily available, the hours that y'all work, which kind of contribute to the caffeine and alcohol both, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then sleep. You've got to get good rest because when you're sleeping, getting into that REM stage, that's where you actually get your recovery from the previous day. How much sleep do I need, Brandy? How much sleep do we need? Well, <laughs> I mean, I know, I guess I know it's different for everyone, right? <laughs> Every person's different. There's some studies out now saying that it may not be the amount of sleep as much as it is the type of sleep. Like, are, is it restorative? Are you getting into the REM phase of sleep cycle? So some of it is just le- letting your day go go away and allowing your brain to turn off and really getting into a deep sleep mm-hmm. for recovery. But some of it is amount of time. So, I mean... I would say, you know, if you can get an eight hours of sleep a night, that would be amazing. (laughs) Um, Eight hours is good, but you got to make sure that it's restorative. So you don't want anything on your mind. You don't want to be waking up a lot, you know. Who's that? That would be Allie. Oh, we didn't introduce (laughs) Allie yet. Um... Allie, I guess, is your personal assistant, right? Yes, personal assistant. Goes everywhere with me. (laughs) I saw her holding some papers earlier. Yes, yes. Awesome. (laughs) So, Brandy, I feel like we could do a whole episode on nutrition, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to refer people to another interview that I did with this woman named Wendy Jo Peterson um, that you can find on my site, and I'll put a link to it. But that is a whole episode where we just talk about nutrition and some similar things. But is there anything else specific you would want to say about nutrition? Because I feel like we all kind of understand that, yes, we need to be eating nutritious, healthy food. And the point that you're making is that that's really important for back and muscle health to prevent injury, like we're talking about, to mm-hmm. help you and to help you recover. But is there anything specific you want to say about maybe foods that you see people eating too much of or something that you would really um, recommend people start eating more of? As a whole, people eat too much processed foods. Like if you can just stay on the outside of the grocery store and not go on the inside aisles, <laughs> okay, that's good. you would be great. No, because on the outside of the, outside of the grocery, think about the grocery store. Outside of the grocery store, you got your fruits, your vegetables, your meat, your cheese, there's milk, there's eggs, there's all of that thing, right? Everything on the inside has a shelf life of how long? A long time. A long time. Well, what's it doing in your stomach and your gut if it has that long of a shelf life? <laughs> making, me, making me feel good. Oh, wait, uh, what about marshmallows? Those are on the inside. Yeah, you know, one time I had this incident where I actually caught marshmallows on fire in the stove, and um, and they smelled like plastic. So it kind of makes you wonder, huh? What's all in there? Huh? <laughs> no, marshmallows. Um, the main thing with marshmallows is sugar. It's just high in sugar. And again, so that goes back to that caffeine, sugar, alcohol. Those are all three really bad things for your hormone system, your adrenals, um, your thyroid. That kind of stuff. Do you drink coffee? 
I do not. I used to. Do you feel better? I do. What was it? What's the big change that you saw when you stopped drinking coffee? The big change I saw. Well, um, when I would drink coffee, I would get a like big rise in my energy level, and then I would crash. Like a day later, or like a few hours later. Within a few hours. Okay. Yeah, I would crash, and so then I felt like I needed something else chocolate or coffee or something, something else. And, and that is also a sign of, um, adrenal fatigue or can be right. And so what you do instead is eat some protein and omegas. So my go-to to try to help me with that was actually two tablespoons of almond butter and one tablespoon of coconut oil, mix it together. And you've got a complete protein and omega little mix. And it's a big, big lift. And it actually helps with your energy level. So um, when I started increasing my protein and really making a consorted effort to make sure I was having protein and good omegas in my diet, um, my energy level and my ability to focus, that was the other thing that with the caffeine, my ability to focus around three o'clock was not so great. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now I, you know, just keep, keep my uh, glycemic index level up and um, I can focus really well and keep my energies up. Great. So we're talking about some general ideas for just taking care of the body from yes. the beginning. Um, we talked about uh, having good nutrition and drinking enough water and, and getting some sleep. You talked about sleep. Was was there? Are there other things on your list for general taking care of the body? Yes. So in general, you need to make sure that you get some form of cardiovascular activity in right outside of your work because that doesn't count. <laughs> Even though it's hard work, it doesn't count. Um, and what, what they found is that the cool thing is, is you guys don't have to go and do like 40 minutes on the elliptical. Like people used to think they had to go to the gym and be there forever. Um, really, it's more about interval training. The interval training helps to kind of activate, again, we go back to that adrenal system, the human growth hormone system. And um, what you do is you do like a two-minute warm-up. And you can do anything. You could do biking, you could do elliptical, you could swim, you could run, you could jump rope, you could do jumping jacks. You could literally do anything to get your heart rate up. That's all you want to do. It's all about get your heart rate up and drop it back down. Get it up and drop it back down. And basically you do a two-minute warm-up just so that your body's warm. And then you do a 30-second 30, 30 sprint, right, which can be as fast as you, you know, a fast, you pick up the pace for 30 seconds while you um, either jump rope or jump jumping jacks, whatever you decide to pick as your method of, of torture. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you do 30 seconds fast and get your heart rate up, and then you drop it back down, and you do a minute and a half recovery, and you just slow it back down and get your heart rate all the way back down as best you can. And then you repeat that, and you don't do more than eight intervals. And when you first start, you start at like a 50% your heart rate max, so you don't... You start at a point where it's kind of pretty easy. You can easily conversate. And then gradually you build yourself up to, um, and you basically, it's like a kind of like a, a ladder, right? You go 50%, 60%, 70%, 80%, 90%, and then 95% of your heart rate max. Now, not everybody has a heart rate monitor, right? So what does that look like? Um, it look like 50% is like real easy. You're just easily conversating. You feel your heart rate getting up. You're getting a little warm. So you're talking, um, you're talking about when you're doing the sprints, don't yeah. start out full out. You're, you're doing the 30-second sprint. at You're starting at whatever your 50% of maximum is. And maybe your 50% of maximum, you can still have a conversation with someone at the same time. Correct. And that would be your first sprint. 
that would be for round one. And then round two, you would go 60%, and it would be harder to conversate, but you're breathing and talking um, and getting warmer. And then at 70%, you're kind of like, how are you doing? <laughs> then, you know, like not, not able to conversate. You're having right. to breathe a little bit in between, right? And then 80%, you're starting to get up to that point where it's harder to conversate, but you still can. And then 90%, you're like, mm, not able to conversate. You're just, you're, you're just, you're just breathing, huffing and puffing and, and going. The point of it is to get you to a point where you actually feel lactic acid burn. And, and that's how you, how you can kind of judge that you're doing, you're pushing yourself hard enough. Then when you hit, after you get done with your 30 seconds, you literally the next minute and a half, just, just drop it back down and let your heart rate come back down. So it might look like, um, if you're running, you would just kind of go for a light jog to get your heart heart rate up and warm for the first two minutes. When you get to your first interval, let's say this is your first time to ever do this, you would start at 50% of your heart rate max. So then you would just pick up the pace a little bit for 30 seconds, and then you drop it back down for um, a minute and a half. And then when you get to the second one, you want to get to like 60% your heart rate max. And so then you're going to pick up pace even more, but still be able to conversate. And then do that for 30 seconds, and then a minute and a half recovery. And then you would keep going like that until you get to the point where you can build yourself up to 90% um, your heart rate max. So your first time to do it, if you've never done anything, you would want to start out just with three intervals, no more than that. And you would just start at 50, 60%, and then 70%. And that's it. And then gradually, each week, you add one interval. And you gradually start to where when you get more fit, you won't start at 50%. You'll start at like... 60 or 70 percent and eventually the more fit you get the um more intervals you'll do at 80 and 90 percent you can find relevant links and more information about today's interview by using the search box on sounddesignlive.com so even though i might be working hard at work and I might be working up a sweat, that's still not good enough because you're looking for some sustained heart movement. What we're trying to do with this interval training is trigger a chemical reaction in your brain, which then will continue to work to help improve your overall health. If you don't have time and you literally are like, man, I haven't done anything for my heart today. Well, if you just sprinted for 30 seconds to the bus <laughs> and then walked back carrying whatever you were carrying and you did that twice, at least you did something. So that would be better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, I guess but, so. But I mean, because really, because you've, you've, you've at least triggered the chemical reaction to start. Um, because when you start the workout, you only start with like three intervals for a while and then you build yourself up to eight. And I should be doing this every day? Um, most days a week. So at least three days, you know, three to four days a week okay. at least. Um, but it doesn't have to be every day. I know there are right and wrong ways to lift. And I hope you'll talk about that a little, but I'm also hoping that you'll talk about ways that I can build muscle and get in shape so that that part of the job is a lot more manageable. Well, I think, you know, there's, there's a couple, couple of errors that people tend to make, um, when lifting because, Somewhere down the road, everybody discovered that if your knees go past your toes, it's really bad on your knees, right? So everybody started pushing backwards when they squatted. 
And when they pushed backwards, they'd end up sticking their bottom out and their head forward in order to balance their body. And if you looked more closely at their ankles, their shin bones actually never really move forward. When you look at alignment from the side, you should see that when someone squats, their knees do come forward. However, they stop at their midfoot. So they don't go past their toes, but it needs to come forward to the midfoot. And then when you go up the chain from there, so you've got the knees falling over the midfoot, you've got the ears falling over the knees, and then you have a straight back with your hips, you know, folded in the middle, obviously, at that point. The error occurs where the knees end up either going too far forward, they go way over their toes, and they put them at risk for for knee pain and knee issues, or you see them do this thing where they're, they, they don't, their shins actually don't go forward and they end up sticking their butt out and their head forward and they end up with a little bit of an arch or they tuck their tail and in, the, in their spine. And either one of those is bad on the low back because you end up with a, an abnormal stress kind of at their low, low back. Um, and that, that definitely over time can create some problems. The other thing you want to look at is if you're looking straight on to someone when they squat, you want to see the knee in line with their hip, in line with their second toe. Hmm. A lot of people, and this is where I've treated some guys um, in your field um, with some meniscus tears, is that they l- allow their knees to either roll inward when they're squatting down to lift or even when they're going to push. When they push the, the knee ends up going inward instead of staying in line with their foot. Uh, The other thing that you see is um, you guys get in such a hurry and you're having to like, especially when you're loading and unloading, where you pick something up and you have to twist and put it somewhere else. A lot of people pivot on their knees instead of picking up their feet and turning. They'll keep their feet planted when and they just twist either from their spine or they twist at the knee. And that's not good. Working on my feet for long hours, my back starts to get sore and it gets harder and harder to bend over. And sometimes it'll be really sore then the next morning when I wake up. And I've mentioned this to a few people in the past and mostly they've just said, oh, it sounds like maybe you have bad posture or maybe uh, you need to get some orthopedic shoes. With clients that you're seeing and patients that you're seeing, are you actually saying things to them like, oh, you need some better shoes? I have, yeah. First, I would my, my comment is going to be the same, is that I think that you're probably either not aware of what good posture is, right? Or you have an idea of what good posture is, which may be tucking your tail. So there may need to be a postural change of some sort. Um, and so being aware of your posture is number one. Number two, I think it's hard to be aware of your posture when you get onto a time frame or timeline where you're like, okay, we have to go, 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 because this has to be set up by this time. And that's when things can kind of go out of whack, even if you have good posture. And then the next caveat to that is endurance. So depending on how long you're up and about and doing stuff, you know, you may be just losing endurance at some point and then you can't maintain good posture. What I'd recommend for someone if it's truly an endurance issue is, you know, usually we find an exercise that's a go-to exercise that seems to help loosen up their spine. Um, One would be like uh, hand heel rocks. Another might be to just do one plank in the middle of the day. Like, you know, your okay. best, I know it sounds crazy. You want to go find a place, you know, on the floor somewhere and just do a plank. Um, but it needs to be correct. Right. And the reason that you might do some of those things or even, you know, 
taking a little time to stretch your calf or stretch your hamstring in the middle of the day, just something to kind of break you out of the rhythm and the pattern of the mechanics that you're using to kind of change your movement patterns or kind of reset your day. Like, Hey, don't you remember how I was this morning when I started the day? I want to be in that same posture at four o'clock tonight. (laughs) What can I be doing to be more in shape so that these, Lifting and pushing and physical activity on the job is not such a big issue. Well, here's the thing. If if you just went to the gym and just did a ton of weights all the time, right? If you have someone in bad alignment or they don't know what good alignment is, and then you just tighten all the muscles down on one side, and then let's say you were actually good enough and you tightened all the muscles on the other side too, right? Because you took time to do a balanced strengthening program. Well, if I tighten everything on one side and I tighten everything on the other side and you just envision uh, two blocks with a space in between and you take rubber bands and you put them on one side, you take rubber bands, you put them on the other side, what happens to the space between the blocks? Goes away. It goes away. Right. So if you just contract every muscle in your body at the same time, right, all you're going to get is compression of the joints, which is not good on the disc or your back. So it's not necessarily about how strong, how bulky, how big can your muscles be. Kind of like, you know, like we had some friends growing up in high school that would lift a lot of weights, right? Right. And they get really big. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's not necessarily what's needed. Oh, you're saying they got really big, but then they might still get hurt. Well, now they don't have as much room in their joint spaces, right? Mm-hmm. And... If you don't do it correctly and you end up with an 800 man pulling your circus tent in one direction and a 100 pound person pulling the other direction, now you're imbalanced and you're at risk for injury. So it's really more about functional movement and postural alignment. So there's a whole movement called functional movement system, uh, the functional movement screen. Matter of fact, um, you can actually go to functionalmovement.com. And they have um, a whole information, and you can actually find a provider in your area that um, would do a functional movement screen for you. Basically, they found, after doing lots and lots of research, and they ran their statistics originally on um, NFL players and firefighters because they were easy to track, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Now they're running it on more and more people, um, and and it's starting to be implemented in other sports. It's being implemented all over the place, actually. I think at some point it'll be a good workplace screen. Anyone who scores below a 14 or has asymmetries, one side is different than the other, they're at risk for injury. So the highest score is a 21, which rarely you find, right? I think I've seen one. Did you take it? What did you get? Did you ace it? I did not get a 21. What did you get? Well, I've gotten different scores. I've taken it in different times. Okay. What did you get? <laughs> but um, and I'm above a 14 now. I'm like, at, I think last time I checked it, I, last time I had it, I was like a 16 or 18. That's not but, very high, Brandy. You should be a 21. Well, no. I mean, like, you, we all have def- different reasons why we can't move, right? Oh. If you present with X on the screen, then if you do... Y and Z for exercise, your screen will get better and you'll score higher than a 14 and now you'll be at de- decreased risk for injury. Oh, okay. So it's really, really cool. So it's functionalmovement.com um, and you can find a certified provider in your area. Including Brandy Smith in Austin, Texas. Brandy Smith Young in Austin, Texas. Yes. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
give a big thank you and high five to two people who have already started supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash sounddesignlive. Miguel in Barcelona. Thank you. Carlinhos in Brazil. He's a funny cunt, that guy. Oops, that's not the right one. Thank, thank you. you. There we go. And thanks to everyone else who has become a supporter since this podcast was published. You wanted to talk more about the fact that you need a strong core to protect yourself from injury so that you can yeah. lift and, and hold yourself hold yourself in alignment when you do these things, right? Correct. Yes. Yes. Basically, the core is your foundation of um, any movement. So it's the foundation for both the arms and for the legs. And so we've kind of found that a dysfunctional core is uh, one of the main and sole contributors to most injuries, period. Because it's like um, building a house on a solid foundation with rebar and cement. You know, everything's nice and solid and your walls are going to be solid. Versus building your house on gravel, your walls are going to weeble wobble and eventually fall down. That's basically your core. So if your core is, the core is your foundation for movement, if you don't have a really good, strong, functioning core, then you're kind of in trouble. You're setting yourself up for injury. Mm-hmm. What muscles do you think make up the core, Nathan? I think they are the abdominal muscles and and that's it. Okay, so but when you're saying abs, are you pretty much talking like six-pack abs or what everybody wants to be a six-pack ab? Yes. Okay, so that's what most people think is their core. However, they, the latest research has kind of shown that the core system is more like a um, pressure system. Oh. And, yes, it's like a pressure system, an internal pressure system, and um, it actually involves muscles that people didn't realize it involved. So, for instance, the six-pack muscle that you're talking about, that's the rectus abdominis, but we'll call it the six-pack muscle. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is. Everybody knows it is that. Um, it actually offers no stability to your spine or your pelvis. Your When you go to push a box or lift a box or move gear, your rectus is not offering you any spinal stability or pelvic stability. So it's not protecting your back. Um, mm. It has a really important job, which is to hold your organs in. That's good, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want them to fall out. So no, I like that. It, has, it has that important job. However, it doesn't do anything for you in, for stability or for strength. It attaches to the bottom of your rib cage and to the top of your pelvis. And so what it does is when it contracts, it actually rounds your rib cage and pulls it down. Hmm. And that's not necessarily a good shape for your body because, remember we talked about earlier, um, spine neutral mm-hmm. and having those nice normal curves. Yes, so it takes you out of that normal situation, and by putting you in that position and by that muscle firing a lot, it actually turns off the rest of the core. So if your abdominals aren't your strength-giving, stability-giving core, then what is? So it's your deep muscles that actually are part of it. So believe it or not, the diaphragm is a part of your core system which is actually a really large muscle because it runs from the front to the back of your rib cage and from one side to the other. Big, huge thing, kind of like you can imagine like a trampoline. Mm -hmm. And then you have your pelvic floor, which no one ever thought about, (laughs) which is basically the um, muscles underneath everything 
running from front to back of your um, pelvis and from side to side of your pelvis. And it, again, acts as like a big trampoline, and it holds all your organs up, um, holds your bladder and a whole lot of other organs up, um, as well as it connects your lumbar spine, your pelvis, all of that together. Okay. So, that's, so if you envision the diaphragm as a trampoline on top, the pelvic floor is a trampoline on the bottom, and then if you envision your transverse, there's three other abdominal muscles called your transverse abdominus, internal and external obliques. They actually run from the rib cage um, to the pelvis and all the way across and also attach to the, the low back. Okay. So they make kind of like a sling from the low back all the way around your belly, ah. right? But they're deep inside, underneath the six-pack muscles. So I need those to be strong? Yes. Okay. And you need your paraspinals, which are the muscles in your back. Oh. So, like, um, if you have the pokey parts in your spine, there's a bunch of muscles that run on each side of that, and those help to act as stabilization. Now, here's the key. They actually act in stabilization together. So not any one of those muscles is going to make you stronger. Mm-hmm. They have to work together. And they have to work in sequence together. I have to learn how to use them all together. Correct. And so you heard me talk earlier about functional stability or functional movement and doing functional exercises. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of um, the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. And so it's an internal pressure system. And when you breathe in, the diaphragm drops, the pelvic floor drops, and it allows the air to come in. And those abdominal muscles expand in your belly, right? Yeah. And that increase in internal pressure actually increases your stability. Then when you breathe out, those muscles contract. The pelvic floor pushes up. The diaphragm pushes up. The transverse abdominus and those other abdominal muscles contract and push the air out. And that active contraction actually stabilizes your spine okay. and your pelvis. All right. So, first thing people have to learn how to do is breathe correctly. <laughs> what do you mean breathe correctly? <laughs> well, um, you well, first of all, here you can you can do this as an example. Put I'm one hand it. on your chest, okay, and one hand on your belly, okay. Take a breath. Which hand moves? The one on your chest or the one on your belly? The belly. Good. Now Woo! the benefit is, is that you- <laughs> I'm so healthy. You're so healthy already. Um, The benefit is is that a lot of musicians, because of what's, you know, you guys learn diaphragmatic breathing because of both playing musical instruments and singing. So more musicians are at a greater advantage than, say, someone who just spent 20 years doing gymnastics and um, doing nothing but crunches their whole life. What's wrong with gymnasts? They They don't breathe through their belly. They chest breathe. And that's a bad thing because that means that they're not allowing their system to drop, right? Mm -hmm. So that, you know how I said when the air comes in, the diaphragm has to drop and the pelvic floor has to drop. Well, that's not happening if you're breathing through your chest. So some of your listeners maybe when they put their hands there may feel that their chest rises more than their belly does. Mm -hmm. And that means you're a chest breather and you're not allowing the air to drop all the way down and allow that system to drop. So the system, if you think of it like um, as an elevator, when you breathe in, it should drop down to the basement. When you breathe out, it should lift up to the first floor. That makes sense. If you breathe into your ribcage like an umbrella so that it opens in all directions and allow your belly to expand and then breathe out and think about lifting that trampoline 
That's okay. step one. That's how you practice. So you breathe into your umbrella and allow your belly to expand. And then you breathe out and lift the um, trampoline. Now, the second step is alignment and using that concept when you're working your core. But when you do a plank, and this is where a part of, we talked about already positioning and alignment and how a lot of people either round through their upper back and they squeeze their bottom to hold themselves up or they arch in their low back and they are real saggy. Mm -hmm. Well, you want to have your alignment to be lined up, but you also want to work on the breathing. So you get in your position, you breathe into your umbrella, breathe out, lift the trampoline, breathe in, breathe out, lift the trampoline. And so you're constantly breathing while doing your exercise. And that goes for all exercise. Because when you hold your breath and then just try to tighten your abdominals, you're just going to get your six-pack muscle and you're not going to get those deep muscles inside. Okay. You're talking about the difference between functional muscle and glamour muscle. That's right. It's exactly what it is. Functional muscle versus glamour muscles. The rest of my questions were basically just like, what do you see people doing wrong or what do you see people doing right? I think the number one thing is either arching or rounding in their low back. Either one of those is the big compensation. Um, ultimately, they're just not getting, they're not maintaining that spine neutral position when they're bending and squatting and pushing. And then allowing their knees to come inward when they bend and squat. Twisting, like keeping their feet planted and either twisting in their spine, which is really bad for their spine when they go to load something from one place to another, or twisting from their knee, which is a great way to tear your meniscus. Mm. And then the other thing, and I think you had kind of talked about it a little bit, was shoes. And yes, there are plenty of times when I would say that you need to go get some new shoes. And the reason why is because um, a tennis shoe, and this is the other thing, is if you guys are buying shoes for work, Go buy new ones. Don't, don't, first of all, don't ever buy used tennis shoes someone else has worn because, or don't borrow shoes and like use those as your main shoes because someone else has already put in their wear pattern on that shoe and that is not good for you because you have a different wear pattern. Secondly, don't buy your work shoes at off the clearance aisle or at an outlet store because those are the old shoes and tennis shoes. The rubber that's in the tennis shoes only have a one-year shelf life. And so what that means is that after one year of just sitting on the shelf, that the material that the, the tennis shoe is made of is starting to degrade. Huh. So it's already degrading. And so when you get the shoes that are at the outlet mall and the clearance sections, they're typically already a year old. And so I'm not saying you can't use those to just walk around here or there, but if you're going to use those for your shoes to wear for an event, like all day long and be on hard cement floors or uneven surfaces and all of those things, I would not recommend that. If I've had a pair of shoes for three years, that's past the one-year shelf life? <laughs> yeah, by far. If you have a pair of shoes that you're wearing for three years, I would come to California and kick you in the rear end. Damn it, Brandy. <sighs> Nathan, for real? Are you kidding me? You can't wear shoes that long. Like, Hey, I didn't I know mean, that. <laughs> no, you can't wear shoes that long. Oh. You need to be replacing your work shoes. Depending on how many miles you're putting on them, like walking in them, you need to replace them at least every year at minimum. Okay. And, you know, if you're doing a ton of events and a ton of walking and a lot of stuff, 
then you need to replace every six to eight months. The shoes will help you with shock absorption in your spine. Are there any specific brands that you like? Shoes that are for good back health or um, great for you know wearing all day while you're working? Well, here's the shoe answer. Everybody asks that question, right? It's not about the brand. It's about the model. Every brand has a different mo- different models of shoes, right? And each model is meant for a different type of foot and a different fo- type person, mm-hmm. right? Some shoes um, have lots of shock absorption in them, and they're mid- meant for people who are a little heavier. Um, some shoes are... Um, have more of a medial arch support. So like they have a larger arch support on the inside for people who pronate. Every model is different. And every year, every however many months, each company comes out with upgrades to each model. And then what I would do is find a running store in your area um, that actually fits you for shoes. Like in the Austin area, we have several different stores like that. We have Hill Country Running Company. We have um, Rogue Running. We have, um, i to think what other, there's a couple other stores here in Austin that basically what they do is they watch you walk. Matter of fact, Hill Country Running actually videos you running, which wow. on the research has shown to be the best way to fit someone for shoes is to actually video them walking and video them running because the the trained eye can't see things fast enough. And they found that it's less error if they actually slow down the video and watch it oh, in a slow-mo. In slow motion. Yeah, yeah. And so this one place does. And I'm sure in California and other places across the country where you can find some running stores that actually assess your gait and then put you in a shoe based on that. The other thing is that there is no breaking in of shoes. People always seem to think that like you, oh, don't worry, I'll break it in. No, no. The shoes should feel good when you first start wearing them. You have a DVD, I forgot about that. I do. I have two DVDs. Well, the first DVD is um, Perfect 10 Core, Finding Your Inner Core. And the second one is Perfect 10 Shoulder, Finding Stability Within. And the Perfect 10 Core has a lot of what we're talking about now and a whole lot more. So a whole lot more um, exercises that you can do. And um, you can get those on my website at perfect10physicaltherapy.com. You can follow Brandy Smith on Facebook at facebook.com slash perfect10pt. That's perfect10pt. On Twitter at perfect10pt. Again, that's perfect10pt. Or on her website, perfect10physicaltherapy.com. She also does sessions over Skype if you want to get a more personal assessment. And her email address is perfect10pt at gmail.com. That's perfect10pt at gmail.com. Brandy, thank you so much for being on Sound Design Live. Thank you, Nathan, for having me. Sound Design.
Thanks to Trash 80 for the music in today's episode. You can find more of it at trash80.com. That makes sense. So you're always yeah. training your core. You should never not be training your core. Never not be training your core. That's a bumper sticker. <laughs>